All right, it's Wednesday, which means it's another Backlash podcast. It could be Thursday in your world or Friday in your world. We just assume that people, you know, I'd say the majority of the people listen on Wednesday. So for anybody that cares, I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want to check out that company, you visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We're a retailer in the muskie world, and we have pretty much everything you're looking for for fall muskies. And my co-host today is Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to check out that company, visit muskymayhemtackle.com. And Brad, I'll let you talk about your company for a brief second. Well, we're the original uh, big bladed, flashaboo, skirted uh, bucktail company, basically. We have a whole line of different bucktails um, from eagle tails all the way down to baby girls and MDCs. I don't know. What, what more can I say, Jeff? Let's, uh, it's pretty cool that uh, we've been in this business 15 years, and we appreciate our customers. How's that? That's awesome. That was a little more than a brief second, but that's all right, Brad. I'll give you that. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so Brad and I have uh, we played around for the last couple weeks. It's been, um, if we're going to grade ourselves, Brad, I'm going to give us like what, maybe like a C minus somewhere in there for effort the last two weeks. Yeah, that's probably about right. You know, the crazy part is, is that uh, we've both been super busy. I've been on the water a lot, trying to fill out orders. And I know you've been doing a ton of orders. So it's all good. Yes, things have been busy. In fact, actually, today I got a call. Anybody that follows me personally on Facebook would maybe know the story. So I actually was worried that this podcast wasn't even going to happen tonight, Brad. So I get a call. Ironically, I get a call from my dad. And my dad is retired, so he he wants to, you know, get involved if I'm going up north or doing whatever with it's packing up the camper, putting the pontoon out of the water. So he calls me. He's like, hey, did you guys get the pontoon board out of the water last, last weekend? I'm like, no, we didn't have time. And he's like, well, when are you going to do that? I'm like, um, I'm not exactly sure. Well, then, ironically, the owner of the campground calls me when I'm on the phone with my dad and tells me that, Again, my pontoon boat has only one rope hooked to it. The other rope broke off because we got 45 mile an hour winds up by Pelican Lake. And so um, I was cruising up to Pelican Lake to go get my pontoon boat out of the water today, which, you know, I was before, before that I was going, okay, so let's see, I'm supposed to be at my daughter's volleyball game at like four o'clock. That's halfway to Pelican Lake. If I go to there, I can be up to Pelican Lake by like, Five thirty, six o'clock ish, whatever. By the time our volleyball game's done, it's probably actually six thirty. Two hours back home, that's eight thirty. Hour and a half to get the trailer hooked up, get the pontoon boat across the lake and on the trailer. I'm like, hmm, I can make it home by ten. I'm like, that's not going to work out well for pontooning or uh, for podcasting. But anyways, um, it worked out. We went up early. I skipped the volleyball game just so I could podcast, Brad, because I'm that excited about doing another podcast. Well, this one should be a good one. It'll be fun. I, You know, honestly, though, Jeff, I really do enjoy doing this. I mean, it's a good time. We get to talk to a lot of cool people. Sometimes it's just me and you. I guess we're kind of cool, maybe a little. Uh, you're from Minnesota, so you're pretty cool. I'm just one of them lowly Wisconsin guys, so I'm not really that awesome. But <laughs> So speaking, uh, of, speaking of Minnesota guys, okay, so I had, uh, I had a guy send me a message on, I don't know, it was either Backlash or Team Rhino Outdoors Facebook page, whatever. He said, I really love the, po- I love, really love the podcast, but can you get some more guys from Minnesota? And I'm like, but I talk to Brad every single week. Isn't that enough? And apparently that's not enough. So today we have Jason Hammernick, and uh, I think that's Musky Breath Guide Service for anybody that's scoring at home. And we're going to try to pick his brain on uh, the, like, the mentality behind chasing big low density fish because for many people that know jason he spends a lot of time on malax in october and november which is known for giant muskies like if you're looking for the biggest muskie but you don't mind going long time between bites um that's the place for you and so we're going to talk about that and we're going to probably try to talk about what to do post turnover because if your lakes have not turned over yet which if you're listening in illinois they haven't but if you're in central to northern wisconsin and they're a smaller lake good chance they may have already and if they haven't already there's a chance they might not for a little bit because we're going to experience a warm-up here it appears but we're going to talk about uh, post turnover tactics and chasing big fish 
So it should be interesting because we've never had Jason on, and I'm, um, I mean, he's been on Keys Outdoors and different stuff, and he's always got uh, different perspectives on how to chase big fish. Hands down, Jeff. I, it's going to be interesting. You know, Jason and I got uh, guide, both guided together for many years, and uh, he was the best man in my wedding. So I know Jason really well, but uh, it should be exciting. Well, Brad, unless you have something else to uh, add to this episode right now or the the pre episode, I think we'll just uh, call it a call it an intro, and we'll go and get Jason on the phone. Sounds like a plan. Let's let's give him a jingle. All right. Our guest today is Jason Hammernick with Muskie Breath Guide Service. Jason, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule this fall. Uh, I know you've been out chasing muskies every day, so we appreciate you hanging around here and talk muskies with us for a little while. You're a first-time guest on the podcast. Could you, uh, why don't you give us a little background on what got you into muskies, what you've been up to. I know you head down to Florida. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and maybe give us a brief rundown of how fall's going so far. Sure. Uh, well, basically, I mean, as far as how I got started, typical, typical story of a bass guy that accidentally caught a muskie when he was a kid and obviously thought it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. So I was hooked from that day. That was probably when I was like, whatever, 13 to 14 and just been a muskie nut ever since. That developed into a guide career. I think I started kind of leisurely playing with guiding when I was like 18. 18, 19, you know, when you're that, when you're that young and you go fishing for the day and somebody hands you 400 bucks in the day, they're like, holy cow, this is big money. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just loved it. I mean, I like working with people, showing them stuff and, you know, one thing led to another and got lucky pretty early on in my career. Got a huge fish on, on Malak that most people know about that really big one in July on a pacemaker. It was uh, 51 by 29 in July. Just a freak of nature. And uh, that one got blown up on social media, and that kind of that kind of jump-started my career. So I got kind of lucky there. But now I, uh, I actually moved to Florida about uh, last July. So now I'm a Florida resident. I've been playing around down there for like the last five years, betting tarpon, and uh, I totally... Totally in love with it down there. It's like starting over, you know, when you're, it's like, I can't even explain it. It's so awesome. It's like fishing, just like starting over. Like I feel like kind of getting into the musky thing, you know, you're, you get to a certain plateau and you now with the saltwater thing, it's, it's just like learning all over again. So I, I can't get enough of it. That's basically my story now. No, I just do the Florida thing for eight months, and then I come up here August through ice up. And uh, I'm on leech this year for the, for the last two months, and actually leave this Saturday for Malax to chase the white whale. My favorite time of the year. You know, Jason, uh, one of the things that <laughs> I guess I've kind of figured out over the years, too, Salt water always seems to ruin you. I mean, the freshwater fisherman that finally goes to the salt definitely kind of changes their whole mentality. Do you think that's kind of what, what kind of bit you, too, with the bug? Uh, not really, because I, I really do, actually. I still love chasing muskies. If I didn't, you know, this, this last three weeks have been so frustrating. I, I wouldn't care if, you know, if I didn't, I didn't care so much. They make me so mad still. I get angry at them and I fish longer and harder. It's just, it's just, it's a vicious cycle. You know the deal. That's what yeah, I love. I think, it's, a, it's a hard game. Well, we've lived it together quite a few times and um, mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, there's something special about the muskie, but do you find that same kind of special with the tarpon too? Uh, yeah, I mean, when you figure them out, it's just nonstop action. That's the difference. I mean, it's basically, like I always tell my clients, it's basically musky fishing on crack. I mean, they're still throwing musky rods, you know, throw musky lures, and instead of seeing whatever, three to five fish a day and hopefully get a bite, you'll hook 20 a day and see a thousand. 
you're not going to land all, you're not, you know, if you land two to five fish a day down there, that's really good because the average fight time is 30 minutes to an hour. So most people, after they catch three or four, they're like, hmm, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Let's go eat some seafood, right? Yep, exactly. Well, Jason, let's talk about, since you, you know, you're talking about the passion for chasing these muskies, let's talk a little bit about the mindset it's going to take to chase these fish on, you know, we'll use Malax for example. I think a lot of people, like I said earlier, they know that you're out there chasing them and you're basically chasing the biggest fish that you can, that you can find. And I think that's a, obviously it's a great lake for that. Can you talk to us about like what goes through your head when you're going out there literally days at a time searching for just that one bite? Sure. Yeah. Malax is a, a different animal. That's for sure. Nowadays. I mean, I don't know what, how much, I don't know what the estimated fish per acre is, but it's, it's ridiculous. It's almost an unfishable population, but the ones that are in there, they're absolutely ginormous. And when I go there, I, I used to fish it all year long. Now I, I can only do it like half of October, November. It just gets to be too much of a grind otherwise. But I mean, you just got to keep your eye on the prize out there. You're after the bite, the fish. It's totally not uncommon to go four, five, six days out of bite, three, four days without even seeing one. Out there, I mean, I fished the lake so long, I just, I know where they're at. I know where they're going to be, so I, I don't get frustrated if I don't see one for three days. I know they're there. You just got to keep pounding it. But you just kind of, you got to follow the that water temperature as it drops. I mean, they'll start out, like right now, they're still on the crown because the water's whatever, 55, 58. So you're still fishing fairly normal, like summer conventional type patterns where most of your fish are going to be up on top of the crown where the buoys are. And as it gradually goes towards, so it gets colder and those discos slowly start to move up, then you're going to slide out deeper and deeper and deeper as it gets later in the fall. So Jason, t- let's talk a little bit about bait choices when you're when you're doing this whole deal on Malax. I, I pretty much know what you're doing, but I just want to kind of hear what you got to say about it. Yeah, my bait choices are relatively simple. I mean, I, I'm always guiding, so I'm, I had the luxury of that. So I have three guys in the boat. So I'll always run, you know, one pounder, and then usually a Medusa, and then somebody will throw some type of jerk bait, probably a bar fighter, a, a big bar fighter. So I run a couple, couple rubbers and one giant jerk bait. Right. That kind of goes back to, you know, one of the other conversations that we thought about maybe talking about was turnover. And I think before we started the podcast, you mentioned that that's one of the reasons why you like going to Malax. But years ago, back when you were living here in the yard and uh, hanging out with me all the time, you know, we always tried to go to lakes that didn't have a thermocline. Right. And basically, so we didn't have to deal with the, the whole turnover side of things. But, you know, I, I remember some specific years where it'd be like wood for two days. You know, we couldn't we couldn't catch a fish on rubber, but we could get them on wood. And then the third day that they, they wouldn't eat, eat any wood, you know, and then pretty soon they were eating rubber again. So, I mean, do you see that out there on Mille Lacs too? I know it's low density, and I realize that you're not playing with the number of fish that we used to play with together, but I'm just kind of curious if you see that transition. Uh, I do, actually. Like, two, two or three falls ago, the only thing we could get him to follow or eat was a bar fighter. That year, they just... I mean, we caught a few on rubber, but it was not even close to what we were getting on jerkbait. And now the last two falls has been very, been very slow for jerkbait. Last fall, I actually did fairly well uh, ripping crankbaits, too, which that's not normally in my repertoire, but uh, 10-inch jakes and grandmas were, were pretty good. And as far as, like, if I need to see a fish where my clients are getting discouraged say we're on day two we haven't seen one yet i'll i'll put on like a 10 inch phantom and we'll see one then, holy cow the size of that thing they never eat the things but they like to look at them <laughs> yeah that's awesome that that's uh cool stuff when you can get them to at least move on something to kind of 
re- rebuild some reassurance, right? Yeah, at least show them that they do exist. Yep. I'm I'm going to guess though, Jason, most of your clientele are repeat, repeat clientele that you've had for years because I mean, it's basically like fishing the lottery, if you will. I mean, just knowing what you could catch kind of keeps you really going. Yeah, I mean, we're chasing world records. That's what we're after. They're out there for sure. As far as my clientele goes, yeah, hundred percent. It's all, it's all repeat. Usually, my my last week of October and my first week of November, those book out like three years in advance. Same guys on the same days every year. Yeah, they've seen wild. them, or they've they've seen them, or they've caught them with me, and you know they know what's out there. They're the biggest muskies on the planet. Yeah, it's amazing. It truly, truly is. Now, you've never, I mean, I can, can't remember a time, but share with me if I'm wrong. I don't think you ever troll farm out there in the fall, do you? I don't, but I did, uh, oh, when was that? That may have been three years ago or so. Three or four years ago, I, I broke my ribs, a couple ribs, so I couldn't cast. So I guided most days just standing there, but, you know, I was given the option you know, we could cast and or we control and uh they'd start out casting after about two hours of throwing those pounders they're like, Well, you know, maybe trolling's not a bad thing. You get an extra line in the water because you're just standing there like, okay. So I did a lot of trolling that fall and had some success for sure. Was not really structured trolling either, it was more or less just driving around in open water looking for schools of tulipy. I did quite a bit of that last fall, but did not troll it. I casted it and uh, had some success. Definitely a few ways to uh, skin a cat out there, but hands down, I, I just—it's so interesting. I know, like when Matt Seifert's out there, I know he did spend some time trolling. But you know, it's pretty amazing the guys that are trolling out there during the summer months now too. That's kind oh, of yeah. something that, that's kind of gain some popularity if you will yeah yeah and you know i'm sure like you see and i see you know once every once every few weeks there'll be a post on facebook or instagram it's the monster out of malax and uh yeah i mean it happens i mean i got a good buddy up there that guides out of a pontoon derek and uh i mean he'll go a month, month and a half without a bite. And he's trolling six lines every day. <laughs> yeah, that that's right there tells you what kind of density we're talking about of population. Right. Right. So I'm not super aware of like the the reason behind the fall of the muskies on Malaxa. They just not stocking it out there anymore. What what's the story? They had such an unbelievable thing going out there. Yeah, no, they don't. Uh, they don't stock it anymore. I mean, there's been muskies in in Malax forever. There's there's always been a, a natural reproduction, but it's very low density. But yeah, they stocked it like crazy, and uh, it was. I mean, it was no. I don't think we'll ever see a fishery like that ever again. I mean, Brad was Brad was part of it. I mean, I think my best night on Malax was twenty two fish with four over fifty in one evening on a guide trip. I mean, that's crazy. 50 fish weekends. I mean, it was nothing. Just nothing. It really, <laughs> truly was. I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I wish that they would start that stocking program again because it's just such a fishery. I mean, look at the walleye side. It's, it's a huge walleye fishery. It just yeah. produces big fish. Yep. On everything. Yeah, I mean it was it was crazy back then. I mean that kind of coincided the musky boom there with the cowgirl at the same time, so it was like it was extra crazy. <laughs> I mean those fish when they <laughs> when they first saw a cowgirl for the first time, it was it was down the hatch. <laughs> it was nuts. It's so we needed more so- pair of tires to get them out. I'll say that. Yeah, it was crazy. That's for sure. I mean, some of those evenings, I it just it's mind-boggling, honestly. You know, and we were night fishing, we were day fishing, we were 
we basically were fishing around the clock, if you will. I remember one time, Jason, we came in from, from night fishing and it was breakfast time and me and you hooked up. I can't remember. I think we went to Twin Pines to eat some breakfast and, uh, you were so exhausted and so tired, but we were such idiots at that time. We were young and we were dumb and we were fishing as hard as we could. And I'll never forget. You ended up putting pepper on your pancakes and we're like, (laughs) what am I doing? Yeah. But if I had to, uh, you know, if I had to do it again, I would do it again because it was the best musky fishing any of us will ever see. Hands Hands down, Jason. I, I mean, I think about it sometimes, you know, we fished our butts off, that's for sure. But, you know, (laughs) at the end of the day, could we have pushed it another hour or two every day? I don't know if we could have, I, you know, we, we made the best use of our time. That's for sure. Absolutely. So let's talk about what your average day is when you're out there doing this fall thing. I mean, the days are getting shorter. Are you fishing into the dark at all, Jason? I mean, how many hours are you putting on the water a day? I'm usually a sun up to sun down now. I'll start at like seven and I'm usually out the water, but like five thirty or so. It gets dark at like five. I usually give it like whatever, a half hour after dark. I mean if they're biting, obviously I'm not we're not gonna go anywhere. But typically in the fall when the water's cold, your best bite is from ten to two. Yeah, well the sun starts coming up and the sun starts warming the water a little bit. Um, definitely yeah. kind of a key time frame. Absolutely. So Absolutely. are you are you following the Cisco's? I mean, is that truly what you're looking for? Yeah, more or less. I like it when they're free spawn the, the Cisco's I'm talking here. Uh, when they're when they're staging, that's that's the best time to catch a muskie. When they're actually like in November, when they're actually like spawning the Cisco's and they're on top of the reef. I mean, by the thousands, tens of thousands, Cisco's popping all over. You're snagging one every cast on your bulldog. Everybody thinks, you know, oh god, we're gonna we're gonna catch a musky for sure. I actually find that the hardest time to catch one because there's so much bait there that it, it, it that literally is like winning the lottery. When they're staging. They're not doing their thing yet. I feel like that's that's prime time. That's the best time to catch one. And when that happens, it's it's hard to say. It's happened earlier and earlier the last three years just because it's been so cold. Um, Some years I can remember it didn't happen until the end of November. Now you get those crazy Indian summers in the fall and just water temp goes backwards and everything goes backwards, but. Typically, it's some, somewhere between the last week of October and the first two weeks of November. What is that water temp, Jason? I mean, where are you seeing that temp be when, when things really start rocking? Uh, my magic temp I like, personally, is like the 48 to 51-ish. Later on there. It seems like when I get down in the mid-40s, low-40s, and then the full moon is coming, then it's... it's Cisco, they're going to start doing their thing and they start spawning and it, it gets pretty tough. Do you think those schools of Cisco's have just maintained? I mean, are, are they still as prevalent as they once were? I mean, it's been years since I've been over there late in the fall. It's, uh, it's astronomical. <laughs> I mean, you can talk to the DNR and they'll be like, oh, they have a, <clears throat> we have a low density of you know, Cisco's. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, they don't. They don't have a clue. And then they'll say, "There's just as many muskies as there as there was 15 years ago." And I'm like, "Well, that's that's impossible." But okay. But yeah, the Cisco thing in the fall. I mean, when they're spawning, it's every reef you go to is literally covered on the. It's just there's billions of them in there. Billions. Well, just with that. Cool. With that being said, Jason, it's like almost impossible to understand how you literally can get a fish to bite. You know, you think about, I don't care what you're throwing. You're throwing a bulldog, you're throwing a Medusa, whatever. Might be the the bar fighter, like you said. But how are you tricking that fish to eating that bait when you're competing with that kind of 
bait fish population. It's it's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it, I hate to I hate to use the phrase winning the lottery, but I mean, honestly, it's it sort of is, but it it just goes back to putting yourself on the right spot and just being there at the right time. I mean, and when I say that, I mean, I might pick a spot and I might fish it for six hours, you know, and I'll make the same drift 13 times. And on the 12th time, we might get one, you know what I mean? It's just, you got to just believe in what you're doing and know they're there. And when the 10 minute window opens up, just pray that uh, it sees your bait and it eats it. That's the deal. It's remarkable. It truly is. Have you ever experienced any of that, Jeff? Have you been a part of that or no? I was on Mille Lacs, I don't know, once or twice. I think one time with Jensen way back. I don't know. I'm I'm guessing it was towards probably closer to the, like the, I don't want to say the tail end, but certainly wasn't at the beginning. These fish were definitely educated what cowgirls were. We saw some mega giants. Had one, had one of the, like, it was kind of crazy because, like, I had one come up. And it tried to eat my my cowgirl. I think it was a junior. And then it missed. And my buddy was throwing a junior too. And it literally was off of mine onto his in about a half a second. And he missed it too. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But I didn't, I've never spent that much time over there. Like I said, when I'm, I spent a lot, like during that time, I'm trying to think when that was. It was probably roughly 15 years ago, right? Is that what you're thinking? When During like the heyday part of it? Yeah. Yeah, I was like 2006, 2007-ish, somewhere in there. I was probably spending more time on Green Bay. It was far closer. and But we didn't have this, we didn't have like the mega giant thing that you guys have going on. We just had like good numbers of healthy fat fish, but we didn't have, you know, it wasn't like the the chances of spending getting a 50 on Green Bay were way smaller back when I was fishing it. The chances of catching fish were way higher than what they are now, but it was overall, it was just a different a different green bay than what you see today you know what right. you see that what you see on green bay today is you know i mean you see some true giants coming out of there too i don't think yep. they carry the weight like those malax fish do i think those malax fish are i mean they're literally just freaks of nature in my opinion yeah i agree they're the thickest from head to tail i've ever seen anywhere i've ever been right and i mean the, you know i just remember seeing some of the pictures of them back in the day and just how big they're their bellies were how big their girths were i mean these fish were they were just ridiculous and i i mean i'm not trying to take anything away from green bay fish i think they're plenty big and they're plenty awesome but i think that malax fish are bigger i mean they're just fatter and they're they're it's ridiculous basically yeah yeah that's why i go there every fall i mean i know i'm going for for a beating you know i'll go there for 20 25 days Whatever, I catch somewhere between five and ten. That was a normal fall. Hmm. You know. Like, how and do you, that, you know, for a lot of our, a lot of the people listening to our podcast, I think we have a pretty diverse um, listening group, but I think a lot of them are also pretty new to the podcast. Like, how do you mentally get yourself out of bed to do that every single day, knowing that, is it just simply the, the thrill of chasing the biggest fish in the system? I mean, is that it? Is that simply what gets you out of bed? Yeah, for sure. And the fact that I've, you know, I've, I've been pretty fortunate. I've touched a lot of really big ones. And, uh, yeah, once you, I mean, once you see them and you touch them, and it's just, there's just no other lake anywhere that has a fish like that. <laughs> They're amazing. Because <laughs> I know for a lot of people, you know, even myself included, after probably three days of, nothing seeing nothing catching nothing i think i would have a very difficult time going back so i mean it's it's impressive that you can do it the dedication to chasing big fish like that is it's crazy because i like i said i don't know that i could do it day after day after day after day knowing that today is the day that or knowing that today might be the day but there's a good chance that it's not the day i would have such a difficult time doing that well it is a it is a grind that's for sure i mean that's why I only do it like 20, 25 days a year now. Literally all I can handle is all my body can handle now that I'm getting old, unfortunately. But throwing pounders for 25 days straight is definitely uh, 
it wears on you. But so it is my favorite time of the year still. I love it. Let's let's talk about throwing a pounder once a little bit, Jason. So I think I prefished. You know, I I spent a day in the boat with you back in I don't know whenever the PMTT championship was on Miltona. And yeah, me and yep, me and Jensen, we were out there with you, and you 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 talked about throwing a pounder. Can you can you talk to people about throwing a pounder? Because quite honestly, the way you go about it makes it far less. Uh, I don't know how to say it, like torturous, maybe because. I mean, anybody that's throwing a pounder knows that it's not super fun to throw them. Well, you want to talk a little bit about maybe rod setup? I know, you know, you you can talk to, about how much line you let out and things like that. Because I know for you, like, you don't reel your leader right tight up to your to your eyelet or anything like that. I mean, you have a definite way to throw these pounders. I mean, you call it lobbing. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's definitely a lob. Like, I see it every fall out there, you know. People throwing pounders with like a foot of line on, like, oh my god, that guy's gonna be shot in like an hour. Uh, yeah, there's definitely an art to it. As far as like my Murad, I use a nine two to nine six extra heavy, and I'm basically letting out I don't know six feet of line, maybe seven feet behind me, and then it's literally it's not a snap cast; it's literally a lob. And the bait flies perfectly straight every time. Like throughout the course of the day, I might, I might dog ball like three times, maybe in a ten-hour day. And if people don't know what dog ball is, that's when that's when your leader gets all wrapped up on your hooks because the bait is flailing through the air. But on this lob cast, it's it's uh, it, the bait just flies perfectly straight. Snap cast and rubber bait, they just don't work. It's hard to explain. On a phone, you almost have to see the technique. It kind of, kind of looks goofy on film because you have so much line up behind you. When you watch this, like, see it on TV, you're like, oh my God, he's going to hit himself in the head. But you never do. But it, it looks pretty close. I think if somebody wants to go try to find you throwing pounders <laughs> on, there's an episode from Keys Outdoors. Uh, I don't even know how many years back, quite a, quite a while. I just remember you with like the flannel pants on catching big fish. I can, for whatever reason, I can remember that episode pretty well, but I know you talk a little bit about doing it there. I think you can find that episode on YouTube if I'm not mistaken. I'm not a hundred percent positive, but I, I'm fairly think I'm fairly positive that you can check out yeah. keys outdoors on YouTube and you can see an insight into what Jason's talking about. I mean, it's definitely, like he said, there's an art form to it. It's not. You don't want, you don't, like I said, you don't want to reel it all. You don't want to reel up to your, to your leader, you know, your leader up to your, up to your uh, eyelet and, and then try to throw these baits. You want to have out a bunch of line, like Jason said, and it's, and you want to lob it. You don't want to, you know, that's that's the best way to say it. You want to lob that bait out there. And I I do that with all my baits. I don't care if it's a bucktail or whatever. Like I've been casting now for, I don't even know how many years, 25 years or whatever, but. Pretty lucky. I, ha- I have no shoulder issues. None of that. Like most of the other guys that I know that have casted that long have had multiple shoulder surgeries. And I think with that lob cast, like I'm saying, you don't, you're not like fully extending your arms. Your, your arms are close to your body, so you're not working your shoulders. And uh, you just don't get fatigued. It's so much less energy goes into the cast. Yeah, I think, uh, Jeff, you're right. You can watch that on keys. I think uh, if you go back on the YouTube, and I, I'm trying to remember what they called Jason because he had those red plaid on. Yep. And they, they were giving him crap about being Irish or something or Scottish. Yeah, so it was something like that. But if you see, if you see Jason in a pair of red flannelish pants, it's, um, it's unmistakable. It's the only guy I've ever seen on a muskie video doing that. But uh, he... he he tears them up. I think the whole group there tore them up. I don't remember how many you guys got, but you could talk. About, I mean, like I said, Jason's throwing pounders in that one. It's just, it's, uh, it's impressive. Jason taught me how to throw a pounder that one day I was in the boat with him. And it's for sure a technique that anybody that's going to spend a lot of time doing it, even if you're throwing mag dogs, it's not a bad technique. Cause like Jason said, it takes a lot of fatigue out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I do it on every bait I throw. Jason, are you throwing any two pounders? I gotta ask you that. I know Luke Ronestrand does it some. I'm wondering if you have it all. Uh, oh yeah, I throw. I had I had a little craze back. I don't know how many years ago this was now. Probably 
seven or eight years ago. We were on Vermilion in November. It's the only thing they eat was a two pounder. And, uh, yeah, we threw those for about a week straight. It was just torturous. Yeah, that's a horrible pattern. It's kind of like uh, maybe burning a bucktail and then going, oh, God, I caught one. Now i got to burn all day. Yeah, burning a supermodel, though. <laughs> it, it makes you stronger, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> stronger and a little uh, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to be a tinge dumb to actually do this sport. That's true. That is true. Have you played with the two pounders on Malax at all? Ah, uh, trolling. Um, yeah, that actually works pretty good. Like this would be uh, like top secret stuff now, I guess. Uh, Post spawn Cisco when everything is done, and the lake's gonna freeze any day, and you roll up on a reef now, and it's just it's vacant, the dead sea. Then you got to move way off structure. Still kind of around structure. I'm talking sometimes a quarter mile off structure. And you'll find some bait. And then uh, we jerk crawl two pounders at like 1.8 miles an hour. So you're basically still working it. You know, you're still pulling it, dropping it back, pulling it. But you're you're uh, trolling at 1.8 miles an hour. And that's been that's pretty effective. The only reason I said that now is because I will not be here for that this year. So have at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. When when are you heading home, Jason? Uh, I'm actually leaving November fourth, and my first tarpon trip is November eighth. Wow, you're kind of blowing my mind that early. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of happened. I don't know. I had a bunch of calls, phone calls for November, and I'm like, you know. 85 degrees and sunny and beautiful or 25 degrees snowing icy boat yeah i'm gonna go back to florida <laughs> <laughs> well i guess i can't argue with you that sounds pretty darn good yeah well i'm just kind of hopefully basing it on the last the last two years i've been all done by it. november 3rd it's frozen it's been the craziest coldest falls i can ever remember the last two years in a row well, this fall isn't looking like it's going to be any different. I mean, I know we got a little bit of a warm up right now, but man, oh man, it's just uh, it doesn't want to let up. We got big wind. Um, our temps yeah. are dropping quickly, and our water temps have have dropped quickly. What are you seeing up on Leeds right now for water temp? Yeah, uh, yeah, just out today. I mean, it was it was nice, windy, but it was sixty five degrees. But the water temp is holding steady at like. 50, 53 and a half, 53. I mean, that's stuff I shouldn't see for several weeks yet. You might hit it just right on the Lax. Yeah, I agree. I'm actually kind of excited to go over there. It's going to be definitely bumped up earlier this year, that's for sure. Well, we got on the water this morning. It was 56. The sun peaked out for most of the day today. We had big wind, but it did climb up to to 57, and it almost made it to 58 at one point. So, hmm. I don't know. You know, we're kind of in limbo right now, I would say. You know, with the turnover thing, it's kind of, uh, I don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, this warm-up might slow down that process. I hope it does, actually. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. I thought I saw some... Besides the turnover happening out here, actually, like four or five days ago, huge bubbles, you know, those giant bubble trails on the water. Uh, yeah. I'm like, holy cow, this is amazingly early. <laughs> so how has Leech been for you? I mean, has it been a good, you've been here a couple <laughs> months already? Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I got here like whatever, August, and it was just, game on right away i was actually having fun and they were they bit real good all of august and then when we got that first massive cold front i was actually excited for it i'm like oh this is gonna be really good now you know i'm gonna get that sand bite going on the reed bite and uh we just kind of blew right past all that and it dropped so fast that 
didn't even get to experience a stand or a reed bite this year. The fishing was so bad for two and a half, three weeks. I uh, get done fishing and I look for a super tall tree and a rope and never went through with it, but it was really bad. I would agree with you, Jason. I, I remember doing a podcast right before that cold front was coming and I was like, here we go. You know, we're going to have that first cold front, super pumped, super excited. It's going to happen. Fish are going to move shallow, blah, blah, blah. And man, it just fell upon us. I mean, it was insane. That was a huge, huge drop. And then, you know, we warmed back up and then we had another little blip of a cold front. And don't get me wrong, we had some cool bites, but the normal first cold front of the year bite really didn't happen this year. I know like on leech, you get a, get that sand bite, you get that reed bite. And for the most part, I didn't hear anything positive about any of that. No, it was, it, it was terrible. Like you said, it, the water temp dropped so fast, they just skipped over the whole thing. Even like in the city lakes, you know, it, the, my guide buddies down there and that shallow water top water bike that goes crazy every year in September they didn't even get that skip that too yeah I, I honestly think we all got cheated a little bit this year and it's yeah. uh it's affected all of us that's for sure but uh who knows I think uh it's put these fish in a little bit of a funk I mean we'll have a great day and then we struggle for a day or two and then we have a great day again. So, I don't know. Don't get frustrated. Keep pounding away, I guess. Well, that's all we can do. Well, Jason, right now we're looking at seeing a warm-up like Brad was talking about. Do you think that's good for fishing or bad for fishing, typically? I personally do not like warm-ups in the fall, but I, I don't mind like a one day. Like a, you know, 45, 45 degrees for a week straight, and then all of a sudden there's one day that's 60. I actually like those days. I just don't like the where you get a warm up for like a week and the water temperature actually starts to rise. That, that, that I've typically seen as brutal fishing. I think the fish get confused. Uh, I think the fish are very confused right now <laughs> on what's exactly going on. But yeah, typically I do not like a warm a warming trend for long periods of time in the fall. Yeah, I would I would concur with the fact that if we go through turnover and the lake flops, I would rather have it just flopped. You know, one of the problems with a huge increase in temperature is the lake might flop again, and then it flops back again. You know, multiple flops are not a good thing. So, I, I don't know. I kind of like those little warm-up spells, like, say, in Indian summer, if you will. It can be really, really good. But, man, we're just dealing with tons and tons of wind over here. I don't know about you over there in Wisconsin, Jeff, but it's just been blowing and blowing and blowing. And, I mean, things are stirring and mixing, and it's it's not been easy. Well, I told you, Brad, I had to go run and go get my pontoon boat because one of the ropes broke off of it. So, um, yeah, it was windy up there. And then as I'm driving across the lake trying to get it out of there, I'm like, I don't know that I've seen waves out on Pelican that were that big. So it was... It was pretty brutal. I mean, it was a straight south wind, and it was blowing, and it wasn't just gusting. It was, you know, blowing. The bay that I was in was dirty as heck. Um, it just it didn't look great. I didn't obviously fish. My main goal was to go get a pontoon boat out of the water, and that was it. So, yeah, it's been it's been ter- you know it's been rough. I mean, the the, the conditions for uh, September October have been a little bit off, I would say, to say the least. Right. Well, just- then when when Jeff started this whole thing before we started recording, he told me that the water temp was 34 degrees on Lake Pelican, Northern Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's, you know, see, that's, I just do that, Brad. So that way when it's 85 degree water temperatures, I can still musky fish. Cause I'll just take screenshots of my locator and be like, see, look, it's just 70. No big deal. Right. All right. I, I think you need a new thermometer there, buddy. I'd say, yeah. <laughs> Cause, uh, yeah, I would say that I would say, but it works out to my advantage. I can fish when it's seven. I can fish when it's 85. No problem. I just, t- you know, guys are like, Hey, you realize it's too hot up here. No, look at my locator. It's perfect. 70. Yep. 
It's still 65 at the peak in August, huh? No, it get, it got up to 70, all right? It did get that it did get that high when it was I don't know, it had to have been ridiculously hot cuz I was in there water swimming and it felt like bath water, so I'm guessing it probably was in that 82, 83, 84, I don't know. It was up there. But my my locator said it was 70, so I could have still been fishing out of the pontoon boat. I wouldn't want to probably take my regular boat out there cuz then I'd probably be ba- breaking the rules. But with the pontoon all good. 70 degree water temps. <laughs> That's boring. <laughs> For anybody that didn't catch that, that was all sarcasm, all right? I'm not fishing when the water temperatures are 85, all right? <laughs> there will be that guy that, that uh, messages you now. Oh, there'll be that guy that wants to buy my transducer so he can continue to fish, right? Yeah. Uh, it sounds like... Uh, Maybe Jason needs that one, so uh, Cisco starts spawning. Well, at, 30, yeah. at 34, it'd be over by now already, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, 34. Cool. Yeah, we're getting close to that magic time, that's for sure. And, uh, I heard Malax was 53 degrees already. That's hard yeah. to believe, but with the winds that we've been having. <laughs> you know, the thing is, too, Jason, I mean, let's talk about that briefly. You're dealing with really nasty wind over there at different times and battling huge waves and, you know, the whole the whole mix to this thing in the fall. It, it gets really crazy. Uh, yeah, for sure. It definitely gets a little choppy out there. Kind of cheating now. Now I, I bought a new boat this year. It's a 25-footer, so probably have the biggest musky boat on the lax or anywhere I go, but... Uh, so I can pretty much fish in anything now, but there's definitely the point where, you know, it's uncomfortable for anybody to even try to cast if you're in five to six foot waves. It's just not even feasible to stand up and try to cast. So there's more days than not. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I call it chasing the wind on that lake. I mean, if it's out of the Northwest at 30, you're, driving to the north end to fish Miramar for the day or Garrison Ray for whatever. So we don't always get to fish where we want to fish on the lax. You just kind of deal with what you're dealt and uh, go fishing. Yeah, well, that's where the uh, the plaid wool comes out, right? Oh, yeah. I still got those pants. <laughs> do they still fit? Hell yeah, they do. <laughs> 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 I could see Jeff in those pants too. <laughs> no, no, you couldn't. No, no, no offense to Jason. I'm not much for that much red. Jason can pull that off. I can't. They're they're extremely fashionable. That plaid pattern is coming back. Oh, it is. No doubt. <laughs> yep. I can't pull that no one more. off, Red. Uh, you'd be surprised, Jeff. You gotta be an extremely good musky angler to pull off that look. I'm not quite to that level. <laughs> uh, who cares what you look like when you're fishing at that time of the year? That's, That's a true story. I mean, that is true. I'm not gonna argue with that. It's all about warmth and comfort. Yep, that's true. All right, so Jason, one thing we've done on past episodes, I don't know if we've done it recently because most of our episodes lately have sucked. Wait, no, they haven't. They've been C minus, C-, like I said earlier. We've asked the guide for a tip maybe to help put more fish in the boat for um, that particular time frame. You got anything you can offer up people for fall? Uh, yeah, I would say for sure my number one thing would be, you know, follow the, the moon chart. They're key in the fall. Um, like if the, the the minor moon rise moons that there, they can be key. But it seems like the major in the fall for me is just hands down. I have to be on the water for sure if it's during daylight hours. So like say the say the major moon underfoot is at one o'clock. You know, normally I we we go in for lunch every day, whatever to eat lunch. But if the major is at one. We're either going out at 11 to eat or we're not eating that day. So, I mean, that's for sure one thing to pay attention to. If the major is whatever time during the daylight hours, make sure you're on the water. That will 100% increase your chances of catching the big one for sure. 
Well, I just I started thinking about something back in the day when I was filming you and Billy Beekner in the Minnesota Tournament Trail. I remember we we're fishing a tournament, and and most guys that are fishing tournaments are going to make the ultimate use of their time on the water. I remember Jason going, eh, "Let's go in the or let's go into the bar here and have a burger." You know, one of the neat things about Jason that I can say and all the time that I fished because I fished with him a lot is, you know, he took a break and he actually went in and had a burger now and then. And the reason you do that is to clear your mind, give yourself some time to think and get back out on the water refreshed and ready to go. So I'd I'd say that that was something that you could probably add, Jason, to everybody's uh their ideal of fishing out there. Uh, absolutely. I mean, especially on like, like Malax, I mean, you need to take a break every once in a while. I mean, you go in for a burger, kill an hour. And when you, when you're walking back out to the boat, out of the bar, you're, you're actually almost excited to go fishing again. Cause it's, it's just like a, a new energy. You know, if you're, sitting out there grinding the whole day and not seeing anything, it wears on you for sure. But it'll actually affect, it'll affect your ability. I mean, you get just totally mind blasted. And then when you actually do get to bite, you miss it because you're not paying attention. You're not focused. You know, sometimes that break is just what you need. You know, break up the day a little bit and it's so much easier to stay focused. And sometimes it's just more caffeine, right? I do drink a lot of Diet Coke. <laughs> well, Jason, if anybody's looking to get in touch with you to book a trip, either muskies or tarpon or, you know, everything else you have to offer, uh, how do they go about doing that? Uh, that's the way is just text me or call me on my cell phone. That's 612-209-0608. Otherwise, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, Jason Musky Breath Amernick. Awesome. Well, Jason, Brad and I want to just thank you a lot for coming out, taking some time, talking musky fishing with us. I hope that uh, I hope that you chase down that white whale in uh, Malax in a couple weeks when you're over there. So I just want to say thanks again for coming out, and good luck this fall. You bet. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, it was a good time, Jason. It was good catching up a little bit and uh, talking some fish. Absolutely. You guys have yourself a good night. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.